This is Harvest Bible Chapel, Joliet. Our passion is leading people into a life-transforming, joy-filled relationship with God. The following message is from our senior pastor, Eric Postoluk. For more information about our church, we invite you to visit us online at harvestjoliet.org. God, what a blessing to be gathered together as your people. God, you have called us out of every nation, out of every tribe, out of every tongue. And we thank you, God, that we get to be a part of the body of Christ, the diverse body of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for how you use Martin Luther King Jr. to bring about greater reconciliation in this nation. Uh, Father, as we... Uh, turn toward the scriptures now. We ask that you will give us grace to be fully engaged. We ask that you will remove everything that would distract us. I ask, Father, that our minds would be sharp, that our hearts will be soft. I pray that we will be receptive to receive all that you have for us. Help us to see, God, that this moment right now, these next moments are more important than what was happening a little bit ago or what's happening later, Lord. So help us to be fully present. And I pray that your truth would take root deeply in our hearts. And I pray, God, for those here this morning who don't know Jesus, would you bring them to salvation? We love you, God, and we pray that you would protect us from the evil one. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. We're, um, we're doing a series in the book of Nehemiah right now called Rebuilding What is Broken. And the, the book of Nehemiah, which is taking place uh, over 400 years before Jesus came, is dealing with the walls that were destroyed by enemies in Jerusalem and being rebuilt after that destruction. Uh, but it's not only dealing with the walls being rebuilt, it's also dealing with the broken lives of the people in Jerusalem being rebuilt at the same time as well. What, what had happened was uh, God's chosen people in Israel were living in sorrow and fear and confusion because they had rejected God and His ways. And as a result of them rejecting God and His ways, their city is broken and their lives are broken as well. Now, the good news, which we're going to continue to see in the book of Nehemiah, is that God was not willing to leave them, to abandon them in their brokenness. And you need to hear this this morning. God is not willing to abandon you in your brokenness because of Jesus Christ. Just like God was rebuilding the broken walls in Jerusalem through Jesus Christ. God intends 
to rebuild the broken places in your life. Now here's the key though. In order for the the broken places in your life to be rebuilt, you have to be willing, listen, to face the ruins. Just like they faced the ruins before the rebuilding could happen, you must be willing to face the ruins in your life in order for God to rebuild what is broken as well. And I wonder this morning, what is it in your life that needs to change? Where do you need to grow? What's an ongoing pattern in your life that needs to stop? Or what's a pattern that needs to begin that hasn't been there? In order for you to advance, listen, you have to honestly face the wreckage in your life. Now, you can ignore it and pretend that it's not there. Or you can honestly face it and engage in God's process of rebuilding what's broken, of bringing restoration to what isn't functioning properly. Now, today's passage uh, is dealing with facing the ruins. And I want to quickly put it in context before we get into it. Uh, Nehemiah, which the book is written about, he's the unique leader from God. Uh, He's a Jewish man who'd been exiled to uh, what is now uh, modern-day Iran. Uh, And while he's in Iran, uh, he is sovereignly placed by God uh, under the king. He actually has a uniquely high position as the cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. And uh, Nehemiah, in chapter 1 had learned about the situation in Jerusalem, about the walls are destroyed, the gates are burned, the people are living in turmoil. And when he hears this news, he begins to mourn. He begins to fast. And he begins to pray. And this process of mourning and fasting and praying takes place over a four-month period. Chapter 2, which is what we're starting in today, is the ending of that four-month period. Nehemiah is desiring to go to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city and rebuild the people's lives. And so in this passage, he's going to make the move that God's been preparing him for. Look in your Bibles, chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, that's March, April, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. 
that I was very much afraid. Now you have to understand, Nehemiah is afraid because King Artaxerxes can kill him at will. This is a very powerful man. And in those days, we can read about how servants of Persian kings are portrayed as covering their mouths in the king's presence so as to not even breathe on him that he might get offended. In addition to that, you are expected, if you are a servant of the king, to be happy in his presence. Your happy face should be an expression of the privilege that you see you have to serve the king. But the problem is, Nehemiah is not happy. He's miserable, and the king sees that. In addition to that, what Nehemiah is about to ask the king could very easily be interpreted as disloyalty. He, he could be in tremendous danger right in this moment, and so he's afraid. But God has been preparing him, and this is the opportunity he's been waiting for. And listen, here's something you need to understand about your life. As God is going to rebuild your life, He will provide opportunities for you. When those opportunities come, you must engage in them. Listen, even when there's risk. Just because risk is involved doesn't mean you don't take the opportunity God is giving you. Walk through that door. Good things are coming your way, but you need to take that opportunity. Now look at verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, learn from Nehemiah's example here. Here's a man who has been fasting and praying for four months. Imagine how many times he's prayed about this situation with the king here. He knew this was coming. And even in the very moment that he's with the king, the king is right in front of him, he still prays under his breath. May we be a people who are so dependent on God, we are continually in prayer, even when other people are before us, but we learn how to pray quietly and internally. And that's what he does. And you know why he prays? Because he understands what Proverbs 21 verse 1 says. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Now look at verse 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, 
to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild. Now, you need to understand what a massive request Nehemiah is making to the king here. He's in exile, captured in war, living in a foreign land, serving the king. And this is not just any king, this is a pagan king. He doesn't know the true God, and he's over one of the largest empires the world has ever known, the Persian Empire, right up there with the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. And Nehemiah is asking this king to leave his service. Here's what I would like to do. I would like to stop serving you and go do something else. This is a massive request. And you can imagine being in the room with the king and Nehemiah and there being a deafening silence. I would imagine the king taking a moment to really ponder This man is really asking me this? But here's the thing. God had been preparing Nehemiah for months. He's fasting. He's praying. And he's prepared for this moment. And he's willing to take the risk. He's willing to engage in that process. He trusts God to open the doors that need to be opened. And he's willing to walk through them. So here's Nehemiah. He's waiting for the king's response. Is it going to be a severe response or will it be favorable? Look in your Bibles, verse 6. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? Now you could just see Nehemiah like, whew, all right, this Looks like it's going in the right direction. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Now, I want you to notice that God had so prepared Nehemiah for this opportunity that was coming his way. Again, he's fasting, he's praying, he's seeking God. He'd been so prepared by God that his requests of the king don't stop there. He's going to ask for even more than this. And here's why. Because Nehemiah is a realist. He intends to complete what he starts. He has a plan for rebuilding the city and the people's lives. And that needs to be our mindset as well. As you engage in God's process of rebuilding the broken parts in your life, you need to have a long-term view of things. You need to have a plan in place. You need to have a mindset that I'm committed for the change. I'm not just doing this for the day or for the week. This is long-term commitment. You need to have a plan. Notice what Nehemiah's plan is. Verse 7, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors 
of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And let a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. Why? Look at what Nehemiah says. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now Sanballat and Tobiah are enemies of rebuilding. We're going to see more about them as we continue in the book of Nehemiah. But I want you to notice, once Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, what he engages in right away. What does he do? He goes out and he faces the ruins. Look at verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Now, just to give you the geographical context. So Nehemiah was in Susa, again, modern-day Iran, and he travels from Susa to Jerusalem. This would have been about a three- to four-month journey in his day with their forms of transportation. It's about the distance from Chicago to New York where he has to travel. Verse 12, then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. So to put the scene in context, it's nighttime. So it's dark. Stars are shining. They probably have torches in their hands. It's a very small group, but it's quiet out. It's nighttime. And Nehemiah goes with this small crew and he's inspecting the wreckage. And and there's wreckage everywhere. Now you can imagine Nehemiah had planned and it's taken him months and months. We're going on a year from when he first heard this news. And now he's finally seeing all of the rubble. And I would imagine it's pretty discouraging. It's pretty overwhelming to see how much needs to be done. Where do you start? When will this end? But here's the thing. He's taking a good, hard, honest look at the ruins. Verse 14. Then I went up to the fountain gate and to the king's pool 
but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Here's what Nehemiah is saying. Don't get used to the ruins. Don't keep walking by the piles of rocks and the burned down gates as though this is what the city is supposed to look like. Don't accept this brokenness. And brothers and sisters, that has to be your mindset when it comes to the brokenness in your life. You cannot ignore it and walk by it or get used to it and settle into it. You have to be willing to take a good, hard, honest look at it and say, this isn't normal. This is broken. This isn't right. Now, I want you to notice what happens after you take a good, hard, honest look at the ruins. Look at what happens here. Look at verse 17 again. Then I, that's Nehemiah, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Now look, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Remember this. Once I honestly face the rubble, I'm ready to rebuild. When I face the rubble in my life, I'm ready for my life to be rebuilt in the broken areas. Verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant of Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Now, I want you to notice what Nehemiah's reply is because this really should be the reply of your heart as well when it comes to God rebuilding the broken places through Jesus Christ. You should be able to say this as well by faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says, verse 20. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will rise and build. 
but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah takes an honest look at the ruins, and after that, he is ready and he inspires others to join him to rebuild the city. You have to understand, though, that this is about far more than just rebuilding walls. It really is. I'm not trying to just make an illustration where there's not one. It's a genuine illustration. Their their city was destroyed. They were exiled, spread out around the world, and their lives are in turmoil because this is why they strayed from God. This didn't just happen for no reason. It was because they strayed from God and they chased after the things of the world. They were allured and enticed by the pleasures of sin, by false gods, by false hopes. And they abandoned God and they went after those things. And listen, it's because of that, it's because of that, that their city is broken and their lives are broken. But here's the encouraging thing. Now that they have faced the ruins, they're ready to engage in the rebuilding process. Now, I want to ask four questions regarding facing ruins in our lives. Now, I don't even have to ask Anybody to raise your hand who has ruins in their lives? We all do. We all do. We're far more broken than we even realize. I'm completely included here. I'm preaching to you as a broken man saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm not pointing you to myself. I'm pointing you away from me to Jesus. Now, I want to ask four questions, though, regarding facing the ruins in our lives. Number one, what do I mean by ruins in my life? Number two, why is it necessary to face ruins in my life? Number three, what keeps me from facing my ruins? And number four, how can I honestly face my ruins? I want to take those one at a time. Number one, what do I mean by ruins in my life? When I refer to ruins, I'm referring to areas in your life that are not functioning the way God designed them to function. I'm referring to areas in your life that don't line up with what the Bible says, with how the Bible says your life should be. Instead of being whole, there's a brokenness. Restoration needs to be brought about. There's a problem and a solution is needed. Now, ruins in your life implies degrees of pain that you're in right now. These degrees of pain are related that I'm when when it, when it refers to the ruins, the ruins bring about degrees of pain and it spreads the pain from your life into the lives of those that you touch as well. Now, Many times the ruins in our lives are connected in some way to how we've been hurt in the past or neglected 
or misguided. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been sexually abused. Maybe you've been physically abused. Maybe you've been psychologically abused. Maybe you were asked to carry something that you are far too young and far too weak to carry. Now, because we're sinners living in a sinful world, none of us escapes the impact of other people's sin. The sin of other people is hurting us on a regular basis. Our sin is doing the same thing to them. Now, here's what I want you to understand about sin. Sin will keep you from responding well when other people hurt you. Instead of bringing about healing and engaging in a rebuilding process, your sin will incline you to intensify your pain and bring about even greater wreckage than the other people brought into your life. Our sin inclines us to respond in inappropriate, unhelpful, destructive ways to destruction. We tend to make it worse, not better, when we sin. Number two, why is it necessary to face my ruins? Simply put, if I won't engage... If I won't acknowledge that there's a problem, I won't be entering into God's process of rebuilding. If I'm thinking clearly, I don't want to stay in a place of brokenness. I want to be restored. I want my life to be functioning the way that God designed it to function. And if, if I won't acknowledge that, that means more pain in my life. You understand that sin has a way of deflecting our understanding. We keep believing that the pain in our lives is from everything else but the brokenness within us. And we have to understand that there's a connection between the brokenness in our sin and the pain, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us that we touch. Now, if Nehemiah went to Jerusalem... And he looked at all the walls, and he would not acknowledge that they were broken. He said, no, the city's fine. That would not have changed the fact that the walls and gates were still destroyed and that they were exceedingly vulnerable to attacks from their enemies on every side. Now listen, facing my ruins engages me in the process of rebuilding my spiritual walls up putting my spiritual gates in place to minimize my vulnerabilities and keep me from engaging in unnecessary pain in my life and spreading pain to other people's lives as well. I want you to notice what's modeled in Scripture 
when it comes to facing the ruins, facing the wreckage in our lives. Notice the heart that's shown to us in the Bible. Psalm 26, verse 2. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Do you notice the eagerness to face the ruins? Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Do you notice the honesty? Psalm 139, starting in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Brothers and sisters, do you notice the willingness to face the ruins? There's an eagerness, there's an honesty, there's a willingness. There's a passion. Number three, what keeps me from facing my ruins? What's keeping me? Why am I kept from that? Well, there's many things that I could say here, many secondary things, but here's really what it all comes down to. You could summarize it in three words. Fear of pain. It's because of the fear of pain that I don't want to face my ruins. What do I mean by that? Well, we don't want to take an honest look at our wreckage because we're afraid that more pain will result on top of the pain that we're already in. We say, I'm already in so much pain because of the wreckage in my life. You think I want to become engaged in more pain? The last thing I need is more pain. And that's why we're inclined to sinful temptations because they offer a momentary comfort. And we get addicted to that. But when I talk about pain, let me be more specific. There is the pain of admitting I'm not the person I convinced myself I was. And I was trying to convince everyone else I was. The pain of admitting that I'm not nearly as kind. I'm not nearly as caring. I'm not nearly as good of a parent or spouse or friend or employee or employer or Christian. I'm not who I wanted to believe that I was. I'm not who I wanted other people to believe that I was. I was trying, and for me to admit that, for me to take an honest look at who I really am, that hurts, and it does. There's the pain of asking for forgiveness. 
When you've wronged someone, make no mistake, it's painful to ask them to forgive you. It's not fun. It's painful to ask for forgiveness instead of just blowing it off or, or blaming them and saying, oh, they're just being too sensitive. It's painful. And there's the pain of needing to make changes in my life. If I don't face my ruins, I don't have to admit anything needs to change. And therefore, I can continue to live in my comfortable state that I've been in before. And that feels good for the moment because it doesn't seem like more pain is coming my way. I have to admit that there's brokenness. And when I do, that means that I have to engage in God's process of rebuilding. And God's process of rebuilding means things cannot continue the way they were. Things have to change. And it's painful to change. People don't like to change. We don't like to change because it's uncomfortable. Years ago, before I was a pastor, I was bringing this person to church with me. They They wouldn't come every week, but... I tried to invite them, and they came multiple times. And I remember being perplexed by their response to me after service. They said, you know what? I feel worse when I leave church. I don't feel better. And I was so confused by their response. Because I thought, I honestly feel better after leaving church. And I was so surprised that they said that and they felt that way but i kept my eyes open prayerfully and i began to discern what was going on this person wasn't willing to face their ruins they weren't willing to engage in god's process of rebuilding they wanted to ignore it and act like it wasn't there and because of that church was a constant reminder of the very thing they didn't want to deal with Because they wouldn't deal with it, church wasn't a rose, it was a thorn. But you see, it doesn't have to be that way. You see, two people can go to the same service. One person walks out angry or irritated or I'm not coming back. The other person, hopeful, encouraged, excited. How does that happen? I'm telling you. One person's willing to face the ruins. You have to be willing. But you know what? It's not enough to know that it's good and that it, you have to be willing. And what I'm talking about, you, how do you do this, though? That's number four. How do I honestly face my ruins? Well, clearly because facing my ruins engages me in God's rebuilding process, I want to face my ruins. I want to be rebuilt. I want the ruins to be removed. But how? Here's how. Knowing that through Jesus Christ, God himself will be with you as you honestly face your wreckage. On the cross, Jesus was alone and abandoned by God for your sin so that you never have to be alone 
or abandoned by God because of your sin. Jesus has paved the way for God to be with you even in the middle of your pain. And you have to believe that. When you face your ruins, rather than rejection, you will experience God's healing. Psalm 147, verse 3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Rather than scorn, you will experience God's pleasure when you face your ruins. Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of the Lord are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When you face your ruins, rather than experiencing isolation, you will experience the very presence of God. James chapter 4, starting in verse 8, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can face your ruins because through Jesus Christ, God will be near to you in the entire process. Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. You see, it's when you take an honest look at the wreckage in your life and you're willing to say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I repent. I need to change. My life is not going the way it's supposed to go. I'm not only bringing pain into my life, I'm spreading pain into others' lives. It's when you're willing to do that, you can expect God not to flee from you, but listen, to rush toward you. Would you believe that this morning? That's what the Bible is trying to show you. When you face your ruins and you humble yourself before God, God will rush toward you because of Jesus. Now, here's the wild thing, and many have experienced this. Some of you may not have. When you're willing to face your ruins, God has a way of supernaturally making you happy in that sad process. You know what I'm talking about? I was like, I remember the first time I experienced it. How is this happening? I'm sad, and yet I'm happy. It's a supernatural work of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 says, blessed. Now that word blessed can be translated happy. Happy are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. I want you to understand that the comfort you will receive with Jesus in facing the wreckage in your life is a far greater comfort that you receive from not facing your wreckage 
and settling for a momentary comfort. You have to understand God will be with you in that process. And I want to ask you this morning, listen, where is God calling you to change? Where do you need to grow? What is an area in your life that you need to take a good, hard, honest look at today? Is there an area you've been avoiding, an area you've been pretending it's not there, an area you've been pointing the finger at everyone else and not willing to say, this part is me. Yeah, I I was hurt. I was neglected. But I'm not responding the way God calls me. I'm making things worse. And I don't want to engage in more wreckage. I want to be rebuilt by God through Jesus Christ. And I just encourage you this morning, face those areas. That's the step that you need to take. And trust that God will be with you. And I want you to know this morning, if you're here and the Lord is speaking to you and He's he's revealing something to you that maybe you've never even recognized before, He's revealing to you that you have never been united to Him through faith in Christ, that you are still divided because of your sin. You understand that going to church doesn't take care of that problem. You understand that reading your Bible doesn't take care of that problem. You understand that trying to clean up your life and change old patterns doesn't take care of that problem. Your division from God is so severe that it required the Son of God to be crucified in your place and be resurrected from the dead. Listen, and you must turn to a Savior You can't be your own savior. This church isn't your savior. I'm not your savior. Nothing is your savior but Jesus. But the good news is you have a savior, amen? And you can call out to him. And here's the beautiful thing. His arms are open to you. You say, well, what do I have to do? How do I have to earn my salvation? No, no, no. You're not understanding. Your salvation has been earned for you. Jesus paid for your salvation on the cross. That's what the cross is for. Your responsibility before God is to open your hands and say, Lord, I want it. We receive him. Call out to him right now. I'm telling you right now. Call out to him. Jesus, please save me. Forgive me. I receive you. I give my life to you. And listen, that is the very first step in being rebuilt by God. Nothing else matters until you have first received Jesus. Let's pray. God, what a gift to be gathered together with a group of people who are so eager to hear your truth to receive it. God, we thank you that you are not willing to abandon us in our brokenness. Lord, would you rebuild the spiritual walls in our lives that we would be 
freed from our vulnerabilities that keep allowing the unnecessary pain into our lives, God. Would you give us the grace to face the areas of wreckage in our lives that need to be faced? Would you remind us, Lord, that you're not calling us to exhaustively look at all of our struggles, all of our problems. You're just calling us to look at what you're showing us. And so, God, would you show us what we need to face? Would you be specific with us? Would you help us to believe that in Jesus Christ, you will be with us through that process? I want to invite you to just raise your hands. Lord, would you rebuild us? Raise your hands in faith. God, would you rebuild the broken places in my life? Lord, I need help. I'm weak, but you are strong. I'm not going to do it on my own. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to your altar, God. The place of healing. The place of restoration. The place of rebuilding. God, bring the rebuilding that I so desperately need.